Welcome, everyone. I, I want to take this moment to dedicate this uh, Shavuot morning to all of our teachers, in particular our Rabbi Amy Bernstein, who leads our congregation and gives us such beautiful Torah and has created this community uh, each and every Friday. And I want to dedicate this to our teachers of Reconstructing Judaism, both Mordechai Kaplan, who gave us a way to see God outside of uh, the traditional father figure, and to Rabbi Art Green, who I, I truly deeply, deeply respect and love as a human being, but as a teacher of deep Torah. And I have been using uh, his words in particular, and I'll type this to everyone. The book is called Radical Judaism, and uh, it's an incredible, incredible work and this is, this is where my Torah study is coming from. This holiday of Shavuot is truly an engagement between God and the Jewish people, a unique relationship of the divine and humanity that is highly, highly erotic, that is about a love. It's about a cosmic union, so much so that the angels on top of the ark, the cherubim that form on top of the ark of the, of the covenant, where the shattered tablets were and where the inner sacred was, some believe that these two angels were in cosmic union, that this is an erotic moment of engagement where we fuse ourselves with the divine. Now that's radical. That is not the God of Mordechai Kaplan, nor is it the God of Maimonides, nor is it certainly the God of Maizedi. He would say, shah. And yet, I think Shavuot is so beautifully erotic and love-fulfilling that if we can melt away where ourselves end and where the cosmic divine universe begins, we are always sharing in this moment of Torah. And that is the prayer, that through the words of Torah, through the awe of God and Torah, we become unified. And so, we spend so much time on our tech these days. Can you hear me now? Is my sound clear? Do you see me? What's the text? We need to believe deeply that we are always connected to the source of the divine and that revelation is a constant, that this moment is a window for us to look at what revelation is and can be. And I look forward to sharing with you the text itself is from Exodus 19 and 20. These are the Ten Commandments. But I really want you to look at context and subtext. And so usually, um, you've learned with me many times, you know, my head is up in the clouds and this, and what about that, and looking there. I want to pull back and not only look at the text, but really try to understand the meaning of revelation as a people, as a human being, and as a world, as a cosmos. 
And this is uh, in large part under the teaching of Art Green, Rabbi Art Green, who was the successor to uh, Rabbi uh, Mordechai Kaplan in reconstructing Judaism. And he has taken Kaplan's pragmatic theology. Kaplan definitely believed in a God, but just not a paternalistic one. But Art Green has given us a Torah that is radical, mystical. And so I'd like to share with you just a few of these terms in the first two commandments that he and the Kabbalists have believed for eternity all the rest of the commandments come from these first two. So I want to give you a piece of Talmud that comes from Makot. It says in Deuteronomy, Torah Siva Lanu Moshe, that Moses commanded for us Torah. And what this means, Torah, this is from the Talmud, Torah in Gematria, I'm just, as an aside, I'm telling you how far I am from myself. If I'm doing Gematria, I've never believed in this Narashite. But if I'm doing Gematria, you know that I'm really out of my element. But I think it's an essential part of Revelation to be out of yourself, out of body experience. Think back to Essex, think back to eroticism. When you don't know where your body is and where that next body begins, that's the beginning of love and eros. Now think of that in a divine way. That the moment I don't know where my Torah ends and God's Torah begins, we are truly, truly connected to, to the divine. So let me get back to Gematria. The word Torah, if you spell it out in numbers, equals 611. And so this is what the Talmud says. Moses gave us 611 commandments. God gave us the other two. So this is a different interpretation from what I gave, the la I think, uh, last year, which is that the only thing that was spoken on Mount Sinai, this is from Menachem Mendel of Roy Menoff. He says the only thing that was given on Mount Sinai was the Aleph, that silent letter, and the rest of Torah is human. This gave me an ability to believe in God that wasn't a fairy tale magic on top of Magic Mountain. So that I could believe in myself, Anochi, I am an agent of the divine, and that all Torah is deeply uh, divine, but it comes from a human agency. This interpretation is different. This is about the first two commandments. And I think it is very important for us as a community, as reconstructing Jews, to believe deeply in the first commandment. I am God. To believe in God. To not be an atheist, but to believe in a divine source of all life. I am, and this is, I'm going to teach some from uh, this radical Judaism. I am not me. It does not mean I am a single God amongst other gods. I am means that being 
is universal. That being connects all life. That the divine source is not interpersonal, is not uh, sectarian, Jews, Christians, Muslims, but that all life is cosmically connected. Anochi is from the very beginning of creation. In fact, before creation. So whoever you are is connected to that source. So much so that when we say Shema Yisrael, this comes from a text from Yehuda Leib. This is from the Sfat Emet, for those taking notes. When we say the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. When we say, listen Israel, understand that God is all of ours and that God is one, this is not merely a theological statement. This is not about other gods. This is about one, a unity of being, a unity that is not pantheistic, but panentheistic. So I'm going to type this here in the chat. Pantheistic versus panentheistic. And I'm going to, I'm going to explain this as Art Green does. He's a mystical panentheist. And the difference between pantheism, which is that all nature, capital N, is connected and that God is in everything, nature, humans, animals, uh, the earth. But there is nothing outside that cosmos. Panentheism believes that each of us, human, animal, earth, has a divine element, but also has a metaphysical nature that expands beyond that so that God is in each of us and that God is in the world but there is also a mystical quality that is beyond us beyond our comprehension that I don't have to believe in fairy tales to believe that I am not the sum of all parts so that if I added everything of nature together I still do not equal God that is the difference in the equation that if you took all nature, that would equal God. But a panentheist says, a mystical panentheist says, you can find divinity in anything, substance, human, but there is also a quality that is beyond humanity. And so this is now my understanding of Art Green, Rabbi Green, his um, eco-theology, he is a deeply committed environmentalist who believes that the world is really in crisis. And I've talked many times about our environmental concern. But now as I understand him as a mystical panentheist, he believes that we are idolatrous in the way that we are mining the earth. That the earth is a divine quality that we share responsibility with and in fact connects us all together. And the last point I want to make on this panentheism, you hear the word pan, 
And within that, obviously, is this current pandemic. And we see it is invisible. It is morphing and it is highly contagious. It moves between animal and human. It is very frightening, but you can turn it on its head. And if you believe in a mystical quality of love that is not erotic, but truly connected and unified, that your mystical panentheism can believe in a pandemic of love that truly connects us all and can be viral in its contagion towards a being of oneness that celebrates life and celebrates not only humanity, but the environment and our world. And this is what was given at Mount Sinai. Because as uh, Art says, Rabbi Green says many times, Mount Sinai is a, ver I'm reading it, I want to get the words right. It is a vertical metaphor for an internal event. It is a vertical metaphor for something that is internal with all of us. So when you say, where was Mount Sinai, you're missing it. When you say, when was Mount Sinai, you're missing it. Revelation is constant the moment we receive. And that is what it means in this Rabbi Green's concept in radical Judaism, to be a mystical panentheist. And so when it says, I am, last year I talked about, Anochi, I am. I am not only an agent of the divine, I am part of the divine. And I speak not only like God, but I speak as a divine agent, if only I can receive. I'm going to stop here. We can open up the microphones. Thank you for this opening of cosmic uh, being. I'm really out of my zone and skill. And yet here I feel more comfortable than ever. Anybody have any questions about this? This is really some deep stuff that Rabbi Green is sharing. I'd, I just want to take that moment to offer you a chance to iterate for yourselves. Remember, the Aserets Hadibrot were not Ten Commandments. They were Ten Iterations. Diber, Midbar. And so our goal and task in this chapter in the Midbar, in the wilderness, is to put language to it so that we can connect to this deep source of truth. Um, I don't know how the function works. We can be raising hands. Uh, Bert is expert at asking. You can text on the right. Rabbi, what are you talking about? Micah, what, what coffee did you drink? And, and the truth is, I'm on water, friends. I am deeply immersed. This is when Moses didn't eat or drink. He fasted for 30 days. Have you guys, you know, when you're in love, sometimes you don't eat or drink for days because you're so excited to be with one another. This is the love that I'm experiencing. So please, I'd love to hear some thoughts, consideration, what resonates. And by the way, Mordechai Kaplan, what are you talking about? This is not God. This is not myst mystical. What? Narishkat, you loved much, meaning foolishness, you head in the clouds, human. But I 
deeply, deeply am connecting with this material at this moment. Jody. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, this is a really basic question. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> okay. I, it, was, it was so, I was lost in the loftiness. Um, and if I know that what you had to say is very important. And I love growing spiritually, and I'm sure it was something that would help my spiritual growth. But can you just pare it into like, uh, I don't get yes. it. Yes. I don't want to miss it, and I don't want to miss it. How about so let's go back to the, the Shema. It is not that God is one. It's not about other gods. It's about God is singular. Everything is divine. God is not, it's not about one God. It's about that. the one. Okay. So from there, I have to believe not only each human being is divine, but that all material nature shares in that divinity. By not pointing to it and say, oh, that rock is God. This is the mistake of idolatry. We must believe that we are not only agents of the divine, but divine. So when it says, and this is a actual quote, Jody, when the, 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 the Ten Commandments were shattered and Moses wrote the second one, God says, make yourself another set of commandments. And Heschel says, you must make yourself these imperatives. You are not only a vessel of the divine or an agent of the divine, you are divine. You are not like a God. Right. God is God. Within, within us. So, and not just within, but this is where the jump of panentheist is. Okay, Jody, thank you, by the way. Simple. So, if I say God is a rock, God is a table. You'd call me uh, an idolater. Look at this rock. There's God. But as a mythical panentheist, I know that dirt is holy, that there's a divine quality to dirt. Uh, I don't know anybody reads Harper's. They just had a 15-page exploration of earth and it's methane and its ability, we are clueless when it comes to our own earth, literally. And what the Panentheus says, it is divine. It is not the sum total of divinity. There is something that is transcendent beyond, that is mystical, that I can't touch, see, be a part of, but it is divine. And so here is a radical departure from the Jewish people being the special people on a mountain that got this, you know, magic mountain that got this Torah that I can look and find a, a cosmos. I have the ability to see God as one, as unifying all life. Did that restatement give you any more grounding in a deeply mystical uh, session? I got that. Now, here, Joe, and, and I want to say this to everyone. When love moves beyond the erotic, beyond the possessive, 
Biahasta, when I can love unity with all my heart, soul, and being, it's an erotic life. I'm in love with life, connecting with life. And that's not only on a moment of Sinai or Shabbat, it's an engagement. Every moment I can feel that. Now, you can't always stay in this kind of heady thing. And the critical side of me, honest, and I just want, to, I want you to know, this is a struggle because I've, I've been raised, look, my degree's in intellectual history for God's sake. This is not something that I can spell out. And yet, Art Green, and this is the radical part, has spent his life in this theology and is really trying to share that with us. Anybody else a different kind of question? Or I would really appreciate a challenge here to say, yeah, uh, okay, you're a look mensch. Micah, uh, it's Bert. And I guess uh, uh, a couple of questions. Uh, if there were no human beings, would there be God? Yes. It's, it's, uh, sometimes the reconstructionist approach gets misstated in the sense that Yes, God is within us, but that's not all that God is. So, I mean, I guess this gets to the question, if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody to hear it, did it make a sound? So but, let's go back to Genesis. God made all these great things. By the way, in Genesis, by Yehi, let there be these ten utterances, the Kabbalists, and frankly, the, the Talmud, Compare the ten creation, acts of creation with the Ten Commandments. And as you know, that Tenth Commandment, uh, don't covet, don't want what other people have. Uh, uh, let me say this. God was alone. God was lonely. God looked for partnership. So if there was no humanity, there would be a God and a very lonely God. A very lonely God. And this is why that second commandment, do not have any other idol, do not have any other object that is me. That is why we are the agents of the divine. And if we did not exist, God would be cut off from this connection. Um, this is obviously my faith. I, I can't, pr and this is, he says this many times. He's intellectually honest. He doesn't want to say, well, evolution doesn't count, or intelligent design is the only way to look at this, or a kind of magical theology. But he's intellectually honest what he can't know. And there is beyond humanity. And he says that when we are a mamlechet kohanim, a kingdom of priests, it is giving us the ability to translate this divine revelation not just for Jews and Israel, but for the world. This is our unique relationship. And I've said this many times. I know that Kaplan in our liturgy has changed Asher Bacharbanu, that we were chosen from all people, to Asher Karavanu, that made us closer. I believe deeply in Asher Bacharbanu, Nikol Hamim Venatanlanu, because that first section, I am a particular person as a Jew, because I have this Torah to communicate this particular notion of divine. And even in it, you see this is a radically different way to look at the divine. I mean, even from a year ago, I was talking to you about synesthesia. 
and how our, our senses uh, sometimes get the divine and sometimes don't. This is a radically different way to look. So that's a very long answer to a, a clear well, question. So where, where, do, where does prayer come in all of this? So, and I so think this is one, one of the difficulties sometimes of Reconstructionist prayer is that we pray to ourselves. Are we, are, we, are we just, I mean, and how is this different from Jewish humanism? Uh, well, what are we, if we're connecting with God, what are we connecting with? So if you are truly connecting with the cosmos, it's not just your Hebrew liturgy that connects you with your history, which has a certain chord note. But in fact, this is, I just read this. This is from uh, the Magid de Yaakov. This is 16th century. In true prayer, every word becomes the name of God. So this is mystical, meaning if you're really plugged in, bird, every word that you say is another vessel for the divine. This is what it means to believe in the divine. That every communication that I have, every word I say is a type of prayer. Now, when you say liturgically, Shema Yisrael, in focus, in prayer with community, it has a particular resonance to a particular people in time. But in a mystical way, Every word you say is a prayer, and not just a prayer. I, I want to say that again. In true prayer, every word becomes a different name for God. So that when I'm gardening and putting my hands in earth and truly cosmically, now I'm not falling in love with my dirt, but I am cosmically connecting to this material that's not only a prayer to say, great, how good this dirt is. This is a name for God. This is a prayer that I am manifesting with my hands, not because of its produce, which it will give, but because of the activity of cosmically connecting with nature and humanity. Yes, David. Micah, it's good to see you. Um, I, I have to sort of share Jody's uh, curiosity, if you will. I love listening to you. Tell me what you just said that <clears throat> can alter behavior. Can you give me some concrete examples of why I should listen to you, internalize what you say, and how it will change what I do? Okay. If we look at the divine life as somehow moments that are distinct from our everyday, then when you're holy, when you come to Torah, I love Judaism, I come to Torah today, I put on my kippah, and I read the Torah, and that's my time to be a Jew. What I'm explaining is, your time to be a divine source is every moment of life. So that when it says, don't turn away from my Torah, when it says, lo taturu in Deuteronomy, do not turn away from my laws, it's not just talking about 613 commandments. So in your behavior, every word you say is a prayer. Every interaction you have is a holy moment. 
every internal question that you have is a divine opportunity to connect. And so I am never on and off. It's not that Shabbat is my sacred moment and that the six days of the week are profane. It's not that, and this is really a theological argument against, and the term is Gnosticism, which is I have a certain amount of holiness and I have a certain amount of profanity. And so if I'm super holy, then I could go and then be myself. So when I'm, you know, a, a rabbi, I'm super pious. And then I take my keep off and then I'll go and do my... This duality is idolatry. This brings us why God, the second commandment, to not have any other idols, is an action, David. Because every time you turn away from your truest sense of self, you're turning away from your divine being. Micah, can we carry this a little further? Please. Um, I'm trying to imagine if everybody behaved the way you're describing, and every moment was a contact with God, and every thought, every touch, touching the soil, touching whatever. What kind of person would you be? Would you be boring? Would you be monochromatic? Would you have any reality in the world? Would it matter? How do you behave in that way all the time and not be a robot? I think it's the opposite of robotic. Let me just reinterpret. God spoke all these divarim things. Everything that I'm doing right now, do I sound robotic in this, in this explanation? I feel incredibly organic and, by the way, liberated because I'm not trying as human being to understand what I need to say to you right now in order to be loved, accepted, respected. I'm trying to live organically with the universe. And my art and my poetry are not forcing myself to be understood I'm trying to receive and understand that I am divine. This is, this is the radical that I'm going to go with our green. I'm going to just add this layer. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt to be your God. When you're in a narrow strait and you're saying, I'm human, this is what it means to be me. I am me and you are not. You are an idolater in a sense. I am special. I am unique. I am one. I am, I am. Oh yeah, are you? But when, Ani Adonai Eloichem, I am the one who took you out of those narrow straits to be, and this says, Lihiot Lechem Elohim, And it's translated as, for you to become part, uh, for you to become one with God. But you could also translate it, for you to be a divine. For you to be divine. Now, this is David, and I'm going to really address challenge, your challenge. Yes, I will feel robotic and basically castrated if I don't get my sense of eroticism, my sense of pleasure, my sense of taste. But I think I'm actually totally mistaken in my own corporeal body uh, nature if the only time I feel totally good and full is when I'm eating, drinking, enjoying those things. 
But if I always feel a part of this world, cosmos, and this way, in this divine agent, if I'm crafting myself every moment, who am I supposed to be? When it says, where are you? That's not a location. Where are you is, what is this divine soul? Then each and every moment, each and every conversation, you know what? It's actually, and it's not easy, but it's not hard. It's broad, because I'm really trying to take in what it means to be this divine source. Micah, if, let me um, just, again, and I'll, I'll surrender, because I'm fascinated by this. Um, are, you, are you saying that there is a cosmic chess master, and we're all swimming around in a swamp, and you're trying to elevate us out of the day-to-day pleasures and move us to some level of holiness, which if we achieve it, we will maximize the quality of our life. I am saying the exact opposite. That in every profane, so I don't understand you. <laughs> in every profane moment, in every sip, in every exchange, and I see that person next to me, I, that, that waiter I see as another divine being, I'm going to behave differently. When I see that angel, every moment, every human being, there is no profane. It's all sacred. And every time I turn away and try to be materialistic about it, material is divine. So you're doing all of the same. I'm doing all the same things. Like George, when George plays tennis, it's not like he's just playing tennis. He's actually living this this cosmic interplay between two people or four people. I don't know, George, I forget how you play. But that trick to live present with yourself, I think is the opposite of putting yourself on a mountain. And this is what art is trying to say. Be radical in how you live every moment. And that's listening to music and that's going out and that's doing all the things. And even in our isolation, we're not isolated. And that's not being holy by being pure and being silent. Because look, if I truly needed to be that silent, this would be a meditation session. But he spoke all, God spoke, the divine iterated all these things at Kol HaDevarim, the totality in that moment. And that's what I can believe in. I can believe in a divine that is part of everything. How do I play that out in history? That's the role of the Jewish people without being racist, without being exceptional, and admitting that I don't know everything. That's this panentheism, that I don't get it all. Is that, okay, I know we're not going to, we talked about this, Bird and I, you know, sometimes the only way to solve these things is Rochambeau. Okay, rock, paper, scissors, you win, I don't. No, of course not. So Mark, please. Okay, we, we, we have three people. We have Mark, we have Jody, and Mehmet in that order. Thank you. And thank you guys for letting me share this. It's really beautiful, a beautiful chance for me to share, even in these screens. Thank you. Mark, please. You know, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. Uh, and I think in general, um, for two major reasons. One is because I am so new to Judaism and know so little that uh, much of this is just, um, for me, a lack of exposure, a lack of knowledge. But I'm also thinking about it in another way, and that is trying to understand uh, what you're saying 
about uh, this way of looking at things, this panentheist way of looking at things. And one of the things that strikes me is that there's a struggle involved, a struggle to continue to be able to maintain a panentheist point of view, uh, a way of uh, experiencing and understanding things, that there is something else that uh, we're drawn to. Um, and um, I think um, that that other aspect of it has to do with uh, less of a, a kind of an all-inclusive uh, attitude or view of, of the divine, of, uh, of the created world, but has something to do, this other side, has something to do with a much more uh, idiopathic view of things, a much more narcissistic view of things. And um, I, I'm, in my effort to understand it, one of the things that um, I'm thinking about and that I'd like to ask you about is that it strikes me that one could look at that as a conflict between two opposites or as a dialectic. And that um, if it's looked at as a dialectic, then the kind of pantheistic point of view that you're, uh, that you're describing and, and uh, uh, espousing here uh, seems to have, um, uh, seems to take on a very different, uh, uh, a different kind of uh, aspect. It's not so much prescriptive as it is a kind of synthetic way of trying to bring together what is in fact experienced as a tendency to um, to uh, experience uh, things in in at least two different ways a more uh, inclusive what I would call um, uh, well I don't need to go into that I was going to get off into a different union I know you were going union yeah yeah but let me just stop there and ask you if you can if, if that makes any sense if you can respond to that if I've said anything intelligible M many. And I, I'm just going to put it in si simple language, if I can, which is the desire to be connected to everything is not just soul eliminating, but it's, it's soulless. David, I think that's kind of what you're addressing. Like if you're just turning into a cosmic soup, this uber soul and, and in fact, Mark, as I even see your eyebrows, you're trying to understand you're trying yes. to get your head around it. Yes. And this is the humility where I stand at Sinai. And this is, again, uh, I'll say it as I did last year. Don't try to get climb that mountain. You will die spiritually if you try to climb the top of the mountain. You've got to stand around the mountain and figure out what's dropping on in through us. And that individual, so in that dialectic, which is, by the way, the Shema is a dialectic, that each of us have our own divine opportunity to express ourselves, and that it's all part of the singular. So in that Jungian term, like underneath all of it is this uber soul that's kind of connecting us all together, but we have each a singular manifestation. And that's the goal of life. What is it that I am meant to add to this cosmic picture? And within that dance, that's the challenge struggle. And within that dance, it's a life well lived.
because it is trying to ask every moment, back to David, every moment when I take that sip of coffee, is this going to help connect me, elevate me with the source of the world, or am I going to uh, be distant and turn away from connection, community, humanity, cosmos? And in that way, all of this heavy stuff is about awareness and the ability to receive, choose. And much of that is what not to do. This is why God also, the no, saying no is as important as the saying yes. That's the dialectic. There is a cosmic being that is one in connecting us all. Do not do X, Y, Z so that you can connect back to that source. It's a positive commandment and a negative. So this is also from the Talmud. It says, that the first commandment is 248 commandments of, of positivity. I am. This is what you should do. And then the other, you shall not, is 365. And that equals all the mitzvot. So it is basically a dialectic between the do's and the don'ts. Or as Isaiah Berlin would say, the negative and the positive liberty. And it's not enough simply to be distant and safe. So I hope that puts some more words and again, I didn't want to go into text and look here and be there because th this is not an intellectual, it, it, it's going through words, but I know that it's a spiritual quality that I can't iterate. And that's, that's humbling and challenging. So thank you, Jody, then Mehmet, then Meg Freeman. And you can also type... Rabbi, oh, Sarah, I see you too, please. Uh, and we have uh, about 15 minutes, so, and we want to do Kaddish for sure. So, wonderful. Okay, I think I got it. <laughs> it went from I don't get it to I actually think I got it. And I'm going to use a pop reference because I know, uh, Rabbi, you understand that. I think... And this is in response to David. Should we all just act like Chauncey in being there? I think what you're saying, because that you very much want us to experience like Chauncey did, but not act as Chauncey did. Is that, is that correct? Being there. Being yes. there is the being key. Being there. And then live it. Live it when you're having... When you're at that bench looking at the cliff, you shared being at that bench. You were yeah. there and you shared. Yeah, I, I got you. all about being. <laughs> the minute I got the Chauncey thing, I was like, okay, now and I got it. For others, you know, and by the way, Steve Carell, you know, that's Peter Sellers is his ultimate actor. And so that's the genius of Peter Sellers is this ability to truly tap into all of these different characters. And yet you're not really clear. You don't know. You can't put your finger on a Peter Sellers and you can't. It's a, it's a genius. He is a genius. It's an experience. It's a way to experience. And so each and every moment, where are you? Ayeka, this art Rabbi Green, he keeps coming back. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? It's, how are you? Yeah. How? I spent my entire rabbinic career being, oh, Micah, fun, full of energy, X, Y, Z. No, that's not me. That's not the deepest rooted me. I can be all of these things, and we are all these things. In fact, 
And so when Olam Haba and the questions of what happens when I die, I'm going to return back to the earth and be part of this universe and, and have that moment of cosmic union that I shall not fear. Right. So I am whelmed in this moment. So now I'm also whelmed in the Mehmet, Meg Freeman, then Sarah and Linda, I think. I think. R Rabbi, thank you. Um, how do you um, uh, read the story of um, Ruth from that perspective? Because we're in Shabbat, we, we, we read her story. Uh, how should we look at this from, from that mystic perspective? Your people are my people. Wherever you go, I go. Wherever. She is making a plea. And remember, this is from Moab. Her, uh, I'll say two things. One, Ruth, this desperation, this starvation, this being this person on the fringe, when she makes that claim, your people are my people, my God is your God, wherever you go, I go. I wish Naomi had said, wherever you go, there you are. I wish she had Ram Dast it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People are my people. And this is how a Moabite and an Israelite can come together to make King David ten generations later. That the radical other is part of ourselves. And so truly that Ruth, the story of Ruth as we read it is this woman from the outside coming to be celebrated as part of the Jewish people. This radical reading would invert it and say she was always part of this universe. And she just came to discover herself. And so her choosing was already chosen from the beginning. So, Mama, you chose Judaism, but did you choose Judaism? No, it chose you. you <laughs> it, it was a coming around. There was an inevitability that keeps you connected wherever you are. Uh, you're in Turkey. I know. Yeah, you had to leave. But did you leave? No. No. I mean, you're always there. screen Is your Zoom different than our Zoom? Because you're on the other you're side? You're always there. So that's how I would answer that. And forgive me again, I'm being so mystical. I love it. I mean, I'm totally sober, but it's really some intoxication. Uh, that's the Shavuot moment, too. Uh, please, uh, we have Meg Freeman. Gosh, guys, you guys are, oh, I can't wait to be with you again. I miss you, but I don't. Okay. <laughs> Is it me? Is it me? Um, it's uh, Meg, Meg, and then Elena. And it's so good to see you guys. Michael, so good to see you. Here's Meg. So, um, thank you so much. As far as I'm concerned, this is the conversation because for me, just to share, I have an understanding of this outside of Judaism and the reason why I'm here is to connect it and see where it is in Judaism. Because this is what all the great mystics in all the traditions, you know, from my understanding, are all speaking to. It is a and please check me because my understanding may or may not be appropriate in here. What we're speaking about, I think, or running through my understanding, is we're looking at something not from a dualistic point of view, but from a unified field, a non-dualistic teaching, which is a radical, radical way to look at the world. It just is. And um, I, 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 I think what, it's difficult to have the understanding when you're trying to access through the brain. So we're in an intellectual 
conversation, and yet we're speaking about something that can't be really accessed. It can be accessed intellectually, but that's a very specific way to get there. It's actually an experience. It's a direct experience from my from my experience. It's like someone was asking, or I think it was David, like, how do you, what do you do? How do you get there? It's like, if you're singing a song, you hear a song, and you think you're singing the song, you're singing with the song, you're singing along with whoever's singing the song. It's the difference between singing the song and being the song. When you're singing with so much desire and so much passion, there's no separation between you and the song. You are, you are it. It is you. And that's the direct experience. So then how do we get to this direct experience? And as one teacher that I've read outside of Torah, but conscious, consciousness takes arduous attention. This is not something we just get or we can just press a button and understand. We are in human form and our senses are placed in very specific places. We are not everything. That ocean is here long before us and it will be here long after us. Will this all exist without us? Absolutely. We're like this in the big scheme of it. And so here's all these senses we have placed in the human form. We don't have eyes back here. Our eyes are here. Our ears are here. Our hands are here. How do we ignite our senses? How do we use this birthright, this gift? And we become the perceptual field very in a specific kind of form at a specific kind of time that we can interpret or even look at this because we're after quantum physics. Um, I'm so sorry. I could just go on because this for me is the most exciting conversation. And wherever this shows up in Judaism, that's what I am always listening personally for because for me, that connects everything that connects all the teachings. And then, and then perhaps there is no separation between us black and white, Christian, Jew, and the rest of it, because we all become interconnected in our humanity, in this planet that we've been gifted with. And imagine all of us frustrated now watching people walk around with no masks, you know, because they think in their individual brain that they are here, and it's disconnected from the fact that you're walking with a 91-year-old mother, and you're the one walking into the street because they're choosing not to wear a mask. I mean, that's how disconnected as humans and community the world can become. Okay, I don't want to go off on that. But I do think that anytime you look at art or science, is this ineffability that we're trying to tap, that we want to feel, that we want to get to. And I, um, I, I, I'm going to stop here. I'm very excited by this notion of, 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 of connection versus interconnection, porousness, versus separation and how we get there. And I think these are senses, and I think we bring our heart to it, not our brain. It's not going to get there through the trying to figure it out. Okay, I'm All done. your heart, all your soul. All, all your, your might. So Passion, these are the words desire. that we are engaged with every moment. If you make the leap, I just I want to be clear. If you try to make the leap as a young kind of naive soul into this cosmic mystery, you will ultimately dissolve. If you build who you are, psalacha, this is crafting yourself. This is sculpting your soul to be that perfect puzzle piece. Stop searching for that piece to fit you. Craft yourself to be the piece that fits with this, with this world. And yet, 
watch yourself from turning away. Every breath can be a prayer and every breath can be a limitation as to who I am. And when you find yourself in this corner isolated, you know, you know you're not with the divine. That's idolatry, a sense of self and ego that is completely disconnected from our universe. This is not to dissolve Judaism. This is not to dissolve KI. This is not even to dissolve the Reconstructing Judaism movement. All of these have unique contributions. But in the end, uh, in the end, we don't know the end. In each breath, I have the chance to say hallel, to praise. That's why I, I tried to give some liturgy here. But I, I want other people to speak. We've got six minutes. Linda, then George, I believe. Oh, no, Elena. Michael, Michael, go ahead. And then Mike. And Michael. Hi, Michael. Am I on? No, you are. You're so on, Michael. You are. <laughs> uh, Linda. You, you've given us a, a radically optimistic view of uh, self and of reality. And uh, you mentioned the Gnostics. Um, it's, it's always struck me that the, in many ways the Gnostics were exceptionally brave in that they accepted that the larger whole of the panentheus is it has to embrace what we regard as evil now it doesn't mean that what that it is evil but we certainly regard a, a number of things in this world as evil and I'm wondering whether you could if this could go on forever of course but it seems to me that radical pessimism is also an important philosophy to, um, to to think about, to meditate on. Radical pessimism and not simply optimism. But that, of course, will take us into 7,000. 30 seconds. I'll speak to Isaiah, who speaks to the Gnostic, who says, God encapsulates both good and evil. Our liturgy takes evil and says, Osea Tara, and converts it to Osea Takol. That that's part of totality. And I won't say that all evil may be good, because that is not true. We have identified evil in our world. We can identify evil yesterday. And yet, I have to have a negative theology that says not that, to iterate or not iterate, to feel a part of that which is the first commandment. This is why the first and second commandment, some would say, are one commandment. I am, don't. What we are separate from the Gnostic is, is that these are two separate deities. These are two separate uh, entities fighting one another. This is our cosmic soup. And the more that I can understand my own special sauce, that melting pot of the cosmos, I can celebrate it with love. And so when I see challenge, I only see opportunity. But now I'm getting into prayer and, and rather... We, we have Linda and then George. Linda. Linda and George. I'm and gonna, then Cardiff. I'm going to save my question for another time because we've gotten far afield from where I have to. Uh, well, then you can text me privately or call me right after this. Thank you. George? George. Yes. Thank you. Uh, it's fascinating. Uh, God created people in their own, in uh, his or her own image. But Man has created God in our image. 
And so the interpretations of what God is is totally different. What I've heard today is the most spiritual, unifying theme that I have ever heard. But it is also like magic. Uh, Kierkegaard said the bigger the magic that occurs, the more faith you have. So I congratulate uh, you, Rabbi, for having this magnificent faith. Uh, there are other reasons uh, to think of unifying the world and bringing peace. Uh, I thank you for mentioning uh, my tennis. I feel very lucky when I play. I am a tennis player, and I play because that is my escape from the real world. <laughs> and uh, I, I will say, George, it's not your escape. It's your way of being. I, I'll I beg to differ. And here, I just, you know, with this magic and this theurgy, this is not magical thinking. We have to separate. We have to be rigorous in our intellectual truth and cosmic in our mystical uh, risk. That is the two pillars. And so as we say now, a mishaberach for all, and I just, I'm so grateful. I mean, I would cry. I am crying, but I'm also singing. And, I, you know, I'm in love with you, uh, all of us. And as we say this prayer for mishaberach, I know we all have souls. We're thinking of all those that are ill in all stages, not only within this particular illness, disease, but in mental and physical strength. But to this point, we are all connected in this. We are all ill and we are all well. We are all part of the solution and we are all struggling in this pandemic together. May we find our source of strength in facing these challenges with the spirit of the divine through us and with us. And then iterate that interaction to go and help to be in a mask if whatever you can do necessary. May God give us strength to face our challenges, to feel unified in a time of isolation, to have a wholeness of spirit in our brokenness, and to find ourselves all collected. <laughs>